Judges chapter number 14. Would you, would you turn there? I hope you got a study sheet. Uh, here's Samson again, and we're going we're gonna to look at his life. Tonight, the value of warning signs. Everywhere you go in life, if you're, it doesn't matter if you're walking down the street or driving down the street or wherever, you're going to see these warning signs. Um, high voltage. You know, you, you might see that sign. Dangerous curve ahead. I like when you're driving through that pass going over to uh, Asheville. They got that uh, they got that picture up there of that tractor trailer. You know, it's on two wheels going around a curve. It doesn't take a whole lot to figure out what that thing is warning about. Um, there are warning signs all over the place for us, helping us stay out of problems. And you'd have to be a fool to ignore some of those some of those warning signs. They're there for a reason. Sometimes your body gives you a warning sign. Pain is a warning sign. Uh, Fever is a warning sign. God is letting you know something's not right. It's a warning sign that God God puts there. And and when we have those indicators like that, then pay attention. If there's there's a pain, uh, I heard recently about a a gentleman who um, he he struggled a lot with pain. and he had a kidney stone and didn't know it. By the time that he got to the hospital, um, he passed away from a kidney stone because it had, it had gone septic on him. But, but to ignore warning signs in our lives, whether they're physical or they're, they're, uh, they're real literate signs, uh, to ignore them always is going to lead to problems. Well, then there are these spiritual warning signs. There are times in our lives when we're not as obedient to God as we should be in various parts of our Christian walk, and warning signs will start popping up. And this is going to prove true in Samson's life tonight. And if he would have, if he'd have been alert, if he hadn't been so wrapped up in his sin, but if he'd have been paying attention to these warning signs, maybe we'd have a better story about Samson. You know, one warning sign is, let's just... Talk about some examples. One warning, spiritual warning sign is bitterness. When you sense that bitterness is creeping into your heart, the, the, the instant that you sense that, do something about it. When you sense an unforgiving spirit, a, a grudge being held against someone, that's a warning sign. If you're a Christian, I promise you the Holy Spirit's going to convict you of that. That's part of his ministry to you and me, and thank the Lord for it. Thank the Lord for his convicting ministry to us because it's a warning sign that we have to to change our course. If we don't, if we ignore the spiritual warning signs in our life, we are on a course for spiritual shipwreck. And we have seen that over and over in the scriptures. Well, in Judges chapter 14, right off the bat, Samson starts manifesting all the signs of a person who is headed for trouble. Samson intentionally ignored those signs and he chose a road leading to dishonor, defeat, and death. Intentionally, he ignored God's warning signs. And I want to encourage you tonight. This is not a, uh, this is not a, uh, to be a, a critical or a downer for you in the Bible study. This is to be an encourage you. Pay attention to these warning signs. When he first started taking his steps down the road to ruin, 
He could not have any idea how tragic his life's end was going to be. Don't you hate it? I mean, this is the Wednesday night crowd, so generally I'm, I'm going to assume you know the end of Samson's story. Don't you hate it? Don't you hate it how it ends? And I know the scripture says, and in his death, he killed more Philistines than he did in his whole life. And I, I know that. But surely there was a better way for him. I just think when he first started down the rebellion road, he did not have a clue the cost it was going to take years later in his life. He, he couldn't have known that. He's like the man described in Proverbs chapter 7, verses 22 and 23, where scripture says this, He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strike through his liver as a bird hasteth to the snare. And here's the end of verse number 23. And knoweth not that it is for his life. That is a sobering phrase to me. Proverbs 7, of course, is the illustration of the man who looked through his, his house's window when he saw a woman dressed like a harlot and he went chasing after her. But that is true of, that is true of sin in general. We don't, we don't assume the end cost of it. And we may, once we get wrapped into it good enough, we may not know that that sin is for our very life. I don't think Samson did. I, I really don't. I think had he heeded the signs in his life, he would have avoided all the problems. And I think Genesis or, or uh, Judges 14, 15, 16 would read a whole lot differently had he heeded the warning signs in his life. I'd like to look at four of them quickly tonight to wit, uh, warning signs that Samson should have paid attention to. Warning signs that reveal how serious his sin was. Warning signs that reveal how serious my sin is. Uh, there are wonderful, good examples to learn from on what to do in Scripture. And then there are those like Samson we learn what not to do, aren't there? And um, generally speaking, his life tells us how not to live. So tonight, let's look at those signs. And we'll, we'll go through tonight, anyway, the first nine verses of Judges chapter 14. Let's read those. Judges 14 one says, Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman of, in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. But his father and mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Then Samson went down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath. And behold, a young lion roared against him. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as if uh, as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. And after a time, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. 
And he took thereof in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother. And he gave, he gave them and they did eat. But he told not them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Let's stop right there. That story will get us through the next several minutes as we look at these warning signs. And I've, <coughs> I've uh, broken it up with, with four different warning signs that should have been, they should have been bells and whistles and lights and sirens going off in Samson's heart and in his mind. As he saw himself thinking these things and then ultimately doing these things, he should have caught himself and said, wait, what in the world am I doing? Have you ever done that in your Christian walk? When you're, you're heading down a certain path, have you ever come to the place where you think, wait a minute, what in the world am I thinking? Why in the world did I say that? Why, why did I take that course of action? Samson should have caught himself, but he didn't. And one thing kept leading to another, and he's going further and further down this road to ruin. Let's start with the first warning sign. The first warning sign is Samson's desires, his desires, fleshly desires that gripped his heart should have been red flags to him that trouble was coming, sins of the flesh. First, it says in the first three verses, it tells us that he desired a woman. It says that he went down to Timnath. Timnath is an an, uh, Israelite city in the tribe of Dan, but at that time was under the occupation of the Philistines. It's straight, if you look in your Bible maps, Timnath is straight east, or west rather, of the city of Jerusalem. It's near one of the five capital cities of the Philistines, Ashkelon. And they took it over. And so there were not only soldiers there, but apparently Philistine women as well. And he saw this Philistine woman, and he was captivated by her. And he said, I've got to have that lady to marry. And so that's what he tells his wife. In fact, that word her in verses 2 and 3, it is an emphatic pronoun, and it really means her and no one else. He told his dad, get her for me. And we can pause right here because this is the first relationship we see Samson's outline, I think I left this on your study sheet. His life can be outlined around relationships with three women. There's this woman who's unnamed here in Timnath in chapter 14. And then there is a harlot in the Philistine city of Gath. And that's in chapter 16, the first three verses. And then he meets the most famous of his relationships, Delilah. And that's in the rest of chapter number 16. If he would have avoided those three relationships, I think his biblical story would have been very different. But he kept insisting on these relationships with ungodly women. He was driven by fleshly desires, and he wouldn't stop. None of these women were really, uh, none of these women were really open to him for a relationship. They were pagan. They were not Jewish women. Samson was as physically strong as any, well, he was physically stronger than anyone in the scripture, but he was extremely weak. He had absolutely no self-control. True strength, someone said, is measured in self-control. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 32 says. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Samson didn't have any of those things. 
Samson didn't have control over his anger. We know that. We'll watch him in in future chapters. We're going to watch him fly off the handle. And he had no self-control either. His problems in the spiritual realm began in the same place, or my problems, rather, in the spiritual realm began in the same place that Samson's do, and that's in our hearts. Keep thy heart with all diligence, Proverbs 4 says, for out of it are the issues of life. Why would I need to keep my heart? Because my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. I can't know it. Can you? The Bible says who can know it? They begin in the heart. James 1.14 says, but every man when he is tempted... Uh, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. His sin didn't begin with this woman in Timnath. His sin began like mine does. It begins in the heart. So here's the first thing. Desires that appeal to our flesh should be warning signs to us. Desires that appeal to our flesh should be warning signs to us. First, he desired a woman. And then the second thing in those same verses, one through three, look at how he speaks to his dad and what he says. Not only did he desire this woman, he desired his own way. In verses one through three, he says this. uh, It says that in verse number two, it says, now, therefore, get her for me. And in verse number three, get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. Not only does he desire a woman, he desires to have his own way. Those are blaring statements. With Samson, and I hope it's not like that with me, but I fear at times it can be. With Samson, it was always about what he was thinking, feeling, or wanting. Him. Not what does God want to do through me. And remember, he's a Nazarite. In fact, he's a Nazarite, right? From the womb. He... He, wasn't, uh, he was dedicated from the time he was in his mother's womb. Do you remember the angel of the Lord told his mom, you are to drink no strong drink or no wine. She wasn't while she carried him. He is to be a Nazarite, the angel said, from the womb. But he was consumed with his own way. He was going to have this woman and nothing was going to stop stop him. It didn't matter if his parents objected. It didn't matter if God objected. She pleaseth me well. Get her for me. We'll not turn to them, but Exodus chapter 34, Deuteronomy chapter 7, Joshua chapter 23, God repeatedly, he prohibits the Israelites from marrying any of the Canaanite tribes. Samson determined to make his own choices. He's he's desirous of his own way he's going to live like he pleased. God's will was not important to him at all. That he was to be a Nazarite didn't matter to him. We'll see that even in in following verses here. There's a New Testament word that describes his attitude in this, and it's the word lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is just shameless, unbridled lust that is determined to do as it pleases. And church, the One of the, can you say this as a pastor? One of the dumbest things we can do as Christians is to insist on our own way. You know why it's dumb for me to do that? Because I know in my heart that God only desires his best for his children. So why would I oppose God's will? 
But Samson did just that. He was lasciviousness. I'm going to do what I please. I don't care who objects, and I don't care what the consequences are. Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. When, when you and I were saved, the Bible says that God bought us unto himself. Redemption means, you remember this, the word redeem means to buy back. God not only created me, making me his, making me his but he also redeemed me. So I am twice born gods. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says he redeemed me unto himself and made us his own. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 says who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. Would you mark that word peculiar in your mind? I know and you know how we use peculiar today. Odd, weird, stay away from, however you want to apply that. But that's not what that peculiar means in this particular verse. That word peculiar means special in the fact that that is my possession. Special in the fact that that is my possession, belonging to one. The word peculiar means out of this group of people, that one belongs to me. He's peculiar from the rest of them. The church is a peculiar group of people because we belong to God. We're peculiar from the world that way. God made us his own. 1 Corinthians 6, Titus chapter 2 are saying he owns us by right of creation and again by right of redemption. So our desire should be to live for his will, not Samson. Samson not only desired a woman, he desired to have his own way and insisted on it. You know the interesting thing that God will do? He'll let you do that, won't he? Have you found that? God is pleased. He's not pleased, but he is willing to let me chart my own course. Go ahead. God's not a tyrant. Samson insisted on having his own way. So desire, here's here's the second thing. Desires that stand in opposition to God's will should be warning signs to us. Fleshly desires, that ought to be a warning to us. Boy, I, I need to turn around. I need to change desires that stand in opposition to God's will. God says, do this. And I say, no, I think I'm going to do that. That ought to be a warning sign to us. I'm, I'm not heeding God's will. What's, what's wrong with my heart? What's wrong with my priorities? So that's Samson's desire. He desired a woman and he desired to have his own way. The second thing, Samson's disrespect to his parents. His disrespect. In verse number three, It says, his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? Apparently this wasn't the first girl that he had chased outside of the nation of Israel because their question is this. Are you going to do this all the time? Has there never been anybody you're interested in? So it, it implies that this was a pattern with him. And when his father and mother reply to him like this, his response is, get her for me. She pleaseth me well. It was in one ear and out the other. We'll, we'll notice a couple of things here. The first is his parents' charge. His parents' charge to him is, this is a problem, Samson. Their, their immediate response to his desire for this Philistine woman, their immediate response is to warn him against it. They know that what Samson is doing goes directly in the opposite way from his call to be a Nazarite. And they're trying to get him to change his mind. And let me say this, they're doing what they're doing exactly what every Christian parent ought to do. 
When you see your children running down a course that is opposite of God's will, get in their way. Raise your children up in Ephesians 6, 4. Raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Challenge that wrong way. Now, when your kids are adults, you can't stop them. But just because they're over the age of 18 or 21 or 25 doesn't mean you can't admonish them. Dad and mom, teach your children. Stand in their way. I don't know if they tried hard enough, but at least Samson's parents here initially, they respond by saying, this is not right. Are there no women in the nation of Israel? Is there none from our tribe that you can marry Samson? Your kids aren't going to appreciate it. Obviously, Samson didn't appreciate it, but stand in their way. The thing is, you've gone down that road before. You know. So stand in their way and and address that. Sometimes God uses parents to hold up a warning sign to their children. Be the warning sign. Be the warning sign. He, He has first his parents charge, but then you see not only his parents charge, Samson's choice. What was his choice? Like I said, in one ear and out the other. He chose, willingly chose, to ignore their advice. The Bible says that Samson's testimony was this, she pleaseth me well. You know what he's saying? That, that, would, that would be in our language today. This is right for me. Does that not sound like 21st century vernacular? This is my truth. This is, this is right for me. What's right for you may not be what's right for me. That's exactly, that's nothing new, is it? Solomon was right in the book of Ecclesiastes. There is no new thing under the sun. Here three or 4,000 years ago, here's Samson saying, well, this is my truth, Dad. She pleases me well. Now, maybe she's not meeting your standards, but she pleaseth me well, and I know what's best for me. Didn't care what they thought, didn't care what God thought, didn't care what the law of the Nazarite said, only cared about what he wanted, about what he felt, And he was driven by his flesh, and he made the choice to disrespect and dishonor his parents and ignore their admonition. Let me just read this. When there's rebellion in a heart, that rebellion is going to manifest itself through disrespect for others and for the things of God. And here's the key thought on this one. Disrespect for the authority that God puts in our life should be a warning sign to us. When we catch ourselves disrespecting God-given authority. And all of us are under God-given authority. When we catch ourselves disrespecting that authority, that's a warning sign God's given you before you get too far on down the road. Catch yourself. When we find ourselves doing as we please with no regard for how our actions are going to impact somebody else, we're headed for trouble. We don't, we don't live, scripture, scripture says we don't live by ourselves here. When we don't care what God's word says, when we disregard God's will, there is no way we're going to avoid trouble. When the scripture says in the book of Proverbs that the way of the transgressor is hard, I think sometimes that the Holy Spirit is a master of understatement. The way way of the transgressor is very hard. 
Life is bigger than you and it's bigger than me. What we do impacts those around us. Husbands and dads, what you do impacts your family. So walk in wisdom. Be the man of God. Moms, what you do impact your husband or your children. Be the woman of God. Don't ignore the warning signs. There's Samson's desire, his disrespect. The third thing in verses 5 through 9 is Samson's outright disobedience. Up until now, they're kind of inward sins. Disrespect, wrong desires, but now it's outright disobedience. In verse number 5, he and his father and his mother are going to Timnath. Um, I wrote in here, before I get to that next part, I wrote this. Samson's parents, eventually, they sacrificed their convictions to make him happy because now they're all going down to meet this woman. Can I tell you this, parents? That's never right. As hard as this is, don't sacrifice your convictions to make your kids happy. There are far too many parents that live for nothing but to ensure the happiness of their children. And the Bible never says you are to make your children happy. The Bible does say to train them up in the way they should go. To raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You want your, parents, you want your kids to be happy? Teach them the ways of God. That is where their happiness, their true happiness is going to be found. I watch so many parents pour things and and lavish things on their kids. And their whole goal is, well, I want them to have it better than I had it. I don't know at what generation that became the goal. Because we're, we're sacrificing spiritual impact and biblical transference from us to our kids for this thing to make our children happy. Let God make them happy. Point them to Christ. Teach them what it is to surrender to him. Samson's parents, though, they compromised here. They went, and how quick is this transition, by the way? From verse number four, or verse number three, where they're challenging him in this, to verse number five, where they're going down to see this woman. How quick is that is that change? So Samson and his parents are traveling to Timnath. This lion comes out, and I don't know how this works. The best in my mind, and maybe you have a better explanation, they may not have been traveling together. Because it says that his mom and dad have no idea that he killed this lion. Now, I've never killed a lion with my bare hands like it says, but I would have to think that that fight, was fairly notable. I I think it would be a little bit loud. I think the lion's not going to go down without kicking and screaming. And I know it says he rent him. He tore him up with his bare hands. The Bible says there's nothing in his hands. He didn't have a bat. He didn't have any bear spray. He didn't have anything. He killed this thing with his bare hands. I would think that would have to be noisy, but dad and mom didn't know anything about it. So I don't know if they were traveling separately on different days or if they were traveling on the same day but at a difference. But the Bible says that his parents, they didn't know. He didn't tell his mom and dad, I just killed a lion back there. I mean, he would look like he was in a fight, wouldn't he? You'd hear it, but somehow they don't know what's going on. 
I believe it was God's spirit that enabled him to kill this lion. But this was, and I know it was a great feat of strength, but this is also a window into Samson's disobedient heart. And there's a couple things that stand out here. The first thing I want you to note is in verses 5 through 7 is the place of his disobedience. Did you catch that in verse number 5? Then Samson, then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath. Can we stop right there? Why is a Nazarite in a vineyard? Because do you remember what we read in the Nazarite law last week? Not only was he forbidden from drinking the fruit of the vine, what else was he forbidden? He couldn't eat the grapes, and the Bible says this, you can't even eat dried grapes. He couldn't eat raisins. There was nothing in that vineyard for a Nazarite. What in the world is a Nazarite doing here? Was he taking a shortcut? Was he messing around with temptation? Shortcuts, here's what I found. Shortcuts often cause problems. Have you found that to be true? Shortcuts, when you're building a house, construct Brother Wally's building a house, when you're building a house, you don't want to take very many shortcuts in that thing. When you're laying the foundation in your home, don't go cheap. Don't go cheap. If it calls for rebar, put the rebar in the concrete. If it calls for a 16-penny nail, use a 16-penny nail, not an 8-penny nail. Don't do it. Don't, don't take shortcuts. Was he taking a shortcut through here? I don't know. I just know that a lot of times in our spiritual lives, shortcuts cause problems. Perhaps he thought he was immune to temptation. You know what? I think this is a lot of times where we struggle. We think, well, that wouldn't tempt me. Maybe he was thinking, well, I'm a Nazarite. That's not going to bother me. And I'm going to cut through this vineyard, and it's going to cut a half hour off my trip. And so maybe that's what he thought. Maybe he thought the prohibition against the vine wasn't for him. It applied to other people, but not to me. Don't our... Uh, do not our congressmen and senators, isn't that how they, they do the laws? They'll pass laws that are for you and me, not for them. Maybe he was just thinking, well, that law is, works for other people, but whatever his reasoning was, he chose to go to a place that was forbidden to him, and, and it ended up costing him. He went into a place of temptation. Here's a lesson. When we choose to put ourselves in situations where we're tempted, we reveal a disobedient heart And it's almost like we're daring temptation to try to take us. When the scripture says things like this, come out from among them and be ye separate. Or neither give place to the devil. Or flee fornication. You've heard Dr. Adrian Rogers say before, the reason Joseph fled from the presence of Potiphar's wife the way he did was probably because he was facing a strong temptation. And the Bible said he got himself out of there so violently that he literally came out of his coat and she's left standing there holding it. He couldn't leave that room fast enough. Don't put ourselves in places of temptation. And that's exactly what he does here. The place of his disobedience was one where he should have never been. And you and I Christians... There are circumstances we should never put ourselves in. Don't take the shortcut. Don't assume that you can't be tempted. We're not that strong without the Lord Jesus Christ. I can do all things 
through Christ, which strengtheneth me. But on my own, my goodness, there's a desperately wicked heart waiting to deceive me and making me think that I'm a stronger Christian than I am. My reliance has to be on God, the place of his disobedience. Verses 8 and 9 tell us about the power of his disobedience. He placed his Nazarite vow in jeopardy just by being near this dead body. So he kills this lion, and then verses 8 and 9, he comes back to the dead lion. In Numbers chapter 6 and verse 6, He's forbidden from touching a dead body. The Bible doesn't say a human body. It just says a dead body. Not supposed to touch anything. It's dead. Why go back to this lion? But he's so full of his own will by now that he comes to this place. What God had to say back in number six, that was old news to him. That's old fashioned. That's the way mom and dad used to live. That's not the way I'm going to live. I'm a pretty popular guy. And I'm Pretty strong. I killed this lion with my bare hands. I want to go take a look at this. He didn't care. He is captive. One writer said he was completely captive to his sinful lust. So he goes back to this lion and he finds this honey in there and he has to touch that dead body to get to that honey. What he has done is he's come to the place where he doesn't care what God wants in him. And church, when you and I do that, we are, we are walking. I, thin ice doesn't begin to describe the danger we're in. When we don't care what God says, when we, we, don't, we don't care at all, we just care what we, about what we want, what we feel. This was a strong pull for him. He is driven now by his fleshly desire. So, so you have the, the power of his disobedience, the place of it. And then verses 8 and 9 too, the price of it. What's the price of his disobedience? Well, when he touched that dead lion, he violated he violated his Nazarite vow. What he should have done at this point was he should have gone to a priest, sacrificed for his for breaking this vow, shaved his head, and then began a new vow as a Nazarite. That's what he should have done. But he didn't do any of those things. That's what's prescribed in verses 9 through 12 of number 6. But he didn't do any of those things. I find it interesting, and it must have just been for his own purposes, but God doesn't judge Samson here. When he touched that body, God didn't strike him dead. God didn't do anything to him. In fact, if you go up a few verses in verse number 4, it says, did you catch that phrase in verse 4? His father and mother knew not that it was of the Lord. Now let me pause here and say that does not mean that God wanted Samson to develop a relationship with this Philistine woman. God had already prohibited that and God can't contradict himself. What that phrase means, that this was of the Lord, it simply means God was going to use this situation, this sinful situation that Samson chose, God was going to use it to still accomplish his plan. That's an amazing thing that God can do. Take my sinful choices and still work out his plan. Only a sovereign God can do that. So don't let verse number 4 cause you to think, well, God's contradicting himself because it's apparently okay for Samson to have a relationship 
an illicit relationship with this Philistine woman, even though back here, at least four times in the scripture, he said that Israelites were not to have relationships with Canaanite women. It just means that God's going to override Samson's sinful decisions and going to still accomplish his plan. So here's the truth. Disobedience, whether it's intentional or the result of carelessness, should be a warning sign to us. Don't you wish that when he had his hands going toward that lion, Samson would have stopped and said, what am I, what am I doing? This is a dead body. I'm not supposed to touch that, but he didn't. He reached right in. I can see him, can't you? I, look, I don't really care to be stung by bees. I'm impressed that he went up to this thing with, with bees in there and everything and robbed the comb. But I can see him going in there with two hands getting honey. I love honey. I love fresh honey. And I can see him just diving in. But don't you wish he would have stopped and paused right before he touched that body and defiled himself and broke the vow? I wish he'd have stopped and said, wait a minute, what am I about to do? Disobedience, whether it's intentional or the result of carelessness, should be a warning sign to us. God doesn't cause us to sin. He does not condone our sin. But even our sinful choices can be used by God to accomplish his will. And that's what's going to happen here. For Samson, the price of disobedience was that he was emboldened in his sin. God let Samson become emboldened in his sin. He touched this dead body. He didn't suffer any consequences, and he thought he got away with it. And that error in thinking kept him doing things, and God just let him think, it's okay. Would you listen to the solemn words of Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 11? It says this, Because sentence against an evil work is not speedily executed, therefore it is set in the hearts of the sons of men fully to do evil. Samson got away with it, and he just thought to himself, well, it didn't cost anything. I touched his body, nothing happened. And his sin is only going to get worse. Here's a fact. You and I aren't going to get away with sin. Samson's not going to get away with it. We're going to get caught up with it here or it's going to catch up with us. And we're going to face it at the judgment seat when God says, you could have had this, but this kept you from doing that. That, my friend, was wood, hay, and stubble, and it's going to burn up. But eventually we're going to pay for sin. Deuteronomy says, be sure. Remember this? Did you ever tell your kids that? I did. I did because my mom said it to me. I can still hear my mom's voice. Be sure your sin will find you out. Sin, or disobedience rather, always carries a price, and oftentimes it's a high one. So if you have a disobedient heart, deal with it now. Let that warning sign have some value to you and turn away. Samson's desire, his disrespect, his disobedience, now it's just blatant and outright. And then the last thing is, verses 6 and verses 9, Samson's deception. His deception. Honey in this carcass was not as strange as it sounds. That's a dry, arid climate that, they, that it lives in. And so bees would look for moisture anywhere they could find it. And they found moisture in this dead lion's body. And they set up a, they set up a, a, a hive in here. But it leads to some, some terrible deception on his part. I, I called the first part here in verse 9 the ruthlessness of his deception. The ruthlessness of his deception. His, his pride now, he, I mean, he's, 
he's doing whatever he wants and apparently suffering no consequences. So his pride is blinding him to any consequence. He eats from uh, this lion and he defiles himself as a Nazarite, but then he touched a dead body. And the Bible says when that happens, number six, if you touch this dead body, you are unclean. And in giving that honey to his parents as an uncle- a ceremonial unclean Jew, he then defiled his parents. If you want to read that, look at Numbers chapter 19, verses 11 through 13. And again, he didn't tell them where he got that honey. They wouldn't have eaten it, and they would have chastened and chastised him for eating it. The Bible says he deceived them. He didn't say anything to them. He was willfully disregarding God's, God's law. When we do this, we take others down with us. When we choose to backslide, we impact others. One Christian in a relationship gets out of God's will, it is highly likely he's going to pull others down with him or her. That's just the way it goes. Sin in our lives always impacts those around us, and that's part of sin's deceptiveness. When I was a youth pastor here years, a long time ago, I was a youth pastor here at Faith, and I remember in the old building we had downstairs, our, our room was downstairs in the basement, and I would be talking to our kids about the, the relationships that they chose, and I, I used just a silly example, and I would usually get one of our big football player guys that played for Jeff County High School, and I'd have them stand up in a chair, and then I'd get somebody maybe half his size, uh, and sometimes a girl, oftentimes a girl, to caution them about who they dated, and I'd go, I'd go over there and I'd tell, that, I'd tell that guy, I said, I want you to reach down with one hand and lift them up off the ground, pull them up the chair with you. And even those big football guys, one hand, that didn't happen. There were a couple times I got a little nervous about that illustration because I thought, ooh, I think this one might be able to lift them off the ground. It's going to blow my whole illustration. Thankfully, it didn't. They never could pull that person up off the ground and put them in the chair with them. And then I'd tell that little person on the ground, pull them out of that chair. And they'd reach up there half their size. They had no problem at all pulling them out of that chair. And this was my point. When we choose to sin, it's easy for us to pull those around us that we love and are close to. It's easy to pull them down with us. That's what Samson did. He chose to sin himself, and then he defiled his parents. Romans chapter 14 and verse 7, Paul said this, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. We impact and we affect the life of others. Sin's deception blinds our eyes to its true consequences, and all we see is its pleasures. Seldom do we see its price. We've talked about that before. It's the baited hook. The worm looks great. The the hook's hidden, though. So you have the ruthlessness of his deception there in verse number 9, the reason for his deception. Why doesn't he tell his parents about this? Why doesn't he tell them about the lion? Why doesn't he tell them about the honey? I put down a couple of reasons. One, and these are possibilities. Samson hid his sin because he didn't want his parents to know he defiled himself. He didn't want his parents to know that he had broken the law. Had they known, they may have sent him to the priest and says, we've got we've to uh, fix this right. Another thing I wrote down, maybe Samson hid his sins because he didn't want others to think less of him. Everybody knew he was a, a Nazarite from the womb. He knew he wasn't right with God, but 
He felt pretty smug that he was the only one that knew it. Maybe he just didn't want others to know it. He just wanted to keep living that life and make that make everything about him look good. It wasn't wrong, by the way, that he killed that lion. Because God's going to lead him to do a lot of killing in his life and enable him to do it. That wasn't wrong. His sin was going back to that dead body. Sin, or, or the world rather, tries to make, to make sin look appealing and glamorous. And oftentimes, sinful people do the same thing because wicked people are not content to sin alone. They, it just doesn't work like that. There is warning after warning after warning in Scripture to avoid wicked men or wicked women, and it's because they're, they are tempting to be with. The world makes sin look appealing and glamorous. I put this on your worksheet. Here's this. Recognizing but ignoring sin's deception in our lives should be a warning sign to us. Samson knew it was wrong to go back to that deadline, but he went anyway. He ignored, he ignored it. So I would say this, that believers would do well to take inventory of the company that they keep. Remember this, wicked men and wicked women do not want to be alone. They're not content to sin alone. They will pull people down with them. 1 Corinthians uh, 15.33 describes a danger in having the wrong kind of people as close friends, Christians. I'm not talking to teenagers tonight. There's not a teenager in here. Christians, beware of who you make your close friend. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 15.33 says. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. The wrong kind of friends can impact us. Proverbs 13.20 says a companion of fools. You don't have to be a fool, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. Christians, be careful about this. Sinful people may appear friendly, but a person is not your friend who tempts you to sin. And here's, now here's the hard part. Backslidden Christian, this is the same thing for a backslidden Christian. They're dangerous to make your close friend. They'll pull you down. No wonder Paul tells us so often to separate ourselves from those who are not walking with God. Listen to Proverbs chapter 1. You know the book of Proverbs. The book of wisdom, right? It's it's God's philosophy. Uh, Somebody called it the philosophy book of heaven. It's how to live. It's the practical applications. It's God's wisdom revealed to man. In the very first chapter, chapter 1, verse 10, already, listen to what it says. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Why would God make that out of all 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs? Why at the very beginning is he saying, now be careful who you hang out with because of the impact people have on other people's lives. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Do you know within the first seven chapters, he's already spent three of them talking to you about wicked women, wicked women and wicked men. And chapters 5 and 7, specifically to men, about the type of woman that you choose. Uh, God is serious about our relationships. Samson blew it from the very beginning. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 says, Withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. There's a warning against backslidden Christians. Be careful around them. 
I'm not saying shun them and do away with them. Let's get them back, but be careful about allowing them to impact your lives. I wonder how different Samson's life would have been had he recognized God's warning signs that were showing up even in early in his life here in chapter 14. And we'll get to, we'll get to others, but the question has to be for me, has to be for you, are there warning signs in our life today? Examine your life and, and look for these things. Giving in to evil desires, disrespecting God-given authority, disobeying God's known will, allowing sin to deceive you of its consequences. Those things all lead to catastrophe, but they're a warning sign for us. And the value of warning signs is that it will get us off the road to ruin. But you know Samson's story. He ignored sign after sign after sign and warning after warning after warning until the best that he can do is to kill himself at the end of his life to wipe out most of the Philistine leadership. You think that was God's best for his life? Because I don't. I just think that the, that's, that's all he had left. That's all he had left in his life. I, I want to encourage you, don't ignore the warning signs. Don't ignore the physical warning signs that your body gives you, but certainly those warning signs that the Holy Spirit gives us, don't ignore them. Pay attention to them. Make course corrections. Off the road of ruin. Off the road to shipwreck. And get back on the right track. I, I just, I can't imagine... Can you, what Samson's story would have looked like, this man of incredible strength and endurance, physical endurance, what would it have looked like if he'd have had the heart of Joseph? That's an incredible thought, isn't it? But he just ignored the signs. So don't be like Samson, not, not in this life. Watch for the warning signs that God gives us through his Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for Samson.